Welcome to Door to Door Insider, where we take a deep dive into the mindset, the why, and the how of the industry's top entrepreneurs, leaders, recruiters, and salespeople. We are the Door to Door Nation. Here is your host, Lee Barber. Let's go. All right, gang, welcome to episode five of Door to Door Insider. Today we have Mara Best. She's with Legacy Power Notorious Division. Mara has been in solar since two th- uh, November 2020, so 1.5 years uh, in door to door. 2022 year to date numbers on installs are 70. In the last 12 months, Mara has exactly 100 installs. And Mara works here with me at Legacy Power Notorious Division in Las Vegas, and I'm happy to have her on. So Mara, welcome to the show. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm glad to have you in. So, um, you know, I've had the pleasure of working with you um, over the last year and a half and watching your growth. Um, I'm very familiar with your story. And the reason that I, you know, really wanted to bring you on today is because you're fairly new talent in the solar industry, haven't been in for 1.5 years, so you're past your rookie year, but your accomplishments personally, um, not just in work, but who I've seen you become spiritually, mentally, your leadership skills, your door skills, um, teaching people, um, your tutelage, your servitude have all just impressed me greatly over the year and a half. Just, it's been an absolute pleasure to watch you and knowing, um, where you come from and the, some of the struggles that you've gone through, I wanted to get you on Door to Door Insider, not just as a shout out for strong women in the industry, but for just people who go through struggles. Um, I love our industry because it's really pull your bootstraps up and do the work. So that's why I wanted to have you on. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I was shocked when you asked me, but honored. So happy well, to be here. your achievements are pretty great. So I, you know, I always like to start the show with a little bit I want to go a little bit deeper with you, like I did on the episode that I did with um, with mine, if you don't mind, yeah, and go into kind of you know how you grew up because I know there was some diversity in that, um, and I I love diversity stories. I'm a big diversity story guy because I think you know the people who become successful in door to door have a little bit more grit and a little bit more tenacity um, than your average human being, um, and something in life toughens them up. And when they get to doors, they're kind of the equivalent of what life has made them to that point. Um, and so I want to go into your story a little bit deeper. So if you don't mind just kind of telling me where you grew up, how you grew up, what the early years for you were like. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. So I was raised, well, grew up born in Orem, Utah. Um, I'm sure many listeners know where that's at. Um, very LDS uh, community. My mom passed away when I was two from cancer. Um, and my dad, he had four of us girls on his own. He remarried within three months to my first stepmom. Um, and that, you know, that was hard. That was a hard time. Was she, your dad in the church? He was with my mom. My my mom was very religious, very into the Mormon religion when she passed. I think, she, I think he was just doing it for my mom. Mm-hmm. And then when he remarried my stepmom, we kind of just, I think... We're a part of the LDS church just to be a part of the community mm-hmm. because, you know, those the early 90s, if you weren't part of the church, it felt like if you weren't mm-hmm. part of the church growing up in Orem, Utah, you were kind of the outcast, kind of the black sheep family. So um, I remember going to church every Sunday. Um, my stepmom, she had three daughters of her own. So and then my dad and my stepmom had a 
kid together. So that was 10 of us really quick. Mm. Um, so I know that was probably a lot to handle, but there was um, a lot of violence um, growing up with that stepmom. Um, it was a scary time. I just remember being in, in a lot of fear growing up. Um, my dad, he was like my hero, right? I always cling to my dad, right, for safety and stuff. And mm -hmm. so I spent a lot of time with him and my my own sisters um, being raised. But yeah, um, childhood was weird. It was weird. It was, it was a little bit scary. I started acting out really early on. I, I remember I was vandalizing restaurants. I was stealing from classmates in like first grade. Um, I was picking up cigarette butts off the ground when I was like nine, 10, you know, just to, just to be, just to feel excitement, to mm -hmm. feel different. Yeah. Like I, I always felt like, oh, this is I, why me kind of, I kind of took on that victim mentality early on. It's, it's hard when you're young. So I, I really, really relate with your story. I had, um, a lot of violence in my early childhood. Um, you know, there was, I lived in Louisiana when I was younger and even in school, they would paddle you literally if you didn't do good, but you know, I, I, I had some violence in my home and it was very scary. And, you know, when my mom and my stepdad divorced, there became more violence. And what's, it's difficult when you're young because you can't comprehend what's going on. And I, I think you're right. You like cling to that like excitement and you start acting out. So I really identify with that because it's terrifying, right? You're this little person in this huge world full of unknown things that are just acting upon you. And it's, it's a scary place to be in life. Right. Yeah. It was, it was different for sure. But I would look around, you know, to my friends and I always felt like they had these amazing lives with these big houses, you know, like we didn't have a lot of money growing up. So I kind of envied and had a lot of jealousy, kind of felt less than mm -hmm. uh, really early on. Um, and then, you know, that's when drinking kind of started for me too. Early on in my family reunion, uh, go figure, I drank a uh, black velvet whiskey for the first time at 11 years old. And I just, when can I do that again? You know, like mm. I just, I <laughs> loved it. I loved the excitement of it. Didn't taste that good, but I still loved it. I was doing the feeling. it. feeling. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, thank God, you know, my stepmom, that stepmom and my dad divorced when I was 11. And it was just me, my sister and my dad for about three years. And during that time, I, I really took on drinking a lot. You know, seventh grade, I was skipping class. I wasn't going to school. I was just drinking whenever I could. Me and my friends were trying to find anyone we could find to buy us alcohol. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, that was a, that was a dark time. And you were 11. 11, 11 to 13. This is when this was yeah. going on. Me and my sister and my dad. So it was like the three of us, the three stooges, you know? Mm -hmm. So after that, you know, my dad found another woman, moved us out of that city, out of Orem, which, you know, I'm so grateful for. Um, I always had a passion for sports. So when he moved me out of Orem, Utah, I kind of really focused on sports. And I we moved to Spanish Fork, uh, Utah, and I didn't have a lot of friends. I didn't what did know. you play? Basketball. You did? Yeah, yes. Or I was a it. baller. Yes. Let's yep. Go. So that's all I did, man. We we lived in a small house with a dirt driveway, but I I begged my dad, please put a basketball court in there. Please put a, a basketball hoop, right? Mm -hmm. And so I'd go out there every day just practicing on a on a on a dirt road, like a dirt driveway with this basketball hoop, and I'd be out there for hours and hours. And then I'd go and I'd run the neighborhood, run the neighborhood, and my dad would take me to the church, you know, and we'd practice, and he he just taught me how to play sports and. I'm I'm grateful for that time. You know, I, I, it took me away from the drinking and the partying, and I, I really just focused on that. And I got some good friends um, in Spanish Fork that went to class and were, got good grades. And I just kind of be, became like the the star basketball player through my junior high. Um, now, 
you know, that was cool. It fed my ego. It, it made me, you know. It's kind of cool to hear you. I mean, it's 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 interesting because you look at, you know, how people grow up and it's, you know, you go into this situation with your dad where he gets involved with this woman who has, you know, some type of violent behavior that's inflicting upon the kids and that, you know, you really start to see like self-medication, right? At a super early age where you're going through pain and suffering that you don't understand. And then at 11, you know, 10, 11 years old, you're self-medicating with alcohol because you're being inflicted upon by life. And then that situation gets removed. And then you take your energy and effort and pour it into basketball. What I love about that is that's one of my favorite metaphors to use is that people like to sit around and talk about basketball but to actually get on the court and move the ball down the court is different. But it, I was just thinking when you were saying that, I see some of that in you now where, you know, you were going out and practicing. It's funny, we did an interview with Jordan Williams and he had a very similar story with golf where that focus and that energy, that self-drive um, where you're just going out and running and doing practicing by yourself just to go out and get it. I think that stayed with you for the rest of your life just hearing that because it's, I see it in you now. So that's pretty cool to see you go from that to that. And so now here we are with basketball. How does that all go in in high school? Uh, Absolutely. So it did stick with me throughout my whole life. And I, and we'll talk about that later, but I used to draw pictures of me in the WNBA. You know, that was my goal. I'm going to be, I'm going to be in the WNBA. I'm going to be successful. I'm going to be this millionaire in the WNBA. That's, I thought that from a very young age. Mm. And, um, once I got into high school, I was still the basketball star. But during this time, you know, I'm, I'm still in a, you know, very religious community. And I start having attraction to girls. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, why do I not find any boys attract? Why do I keep turning these boys down on dates? Why do I not want to go to dances? Right. <laughs> and I start getting attraction to girls. And I'm like, this is wrong. This is wrong. You know, like, I was taught, you know, and I'm grateful for the Mormon religion. It taught me a lot of good values and everything like that. Sure. And I'll always be grateful for that. Um, but I felt like this is something that was not acceptable, definitely. And so I, I kept it a secret um, all through high school. Um, when did, if you don't, just yeah. for my personal, when, when did those feelings start developing for you? Oh, I went and saw Honey, I Shrunk the Kids in the movie theater when I was like six or seven. I don't remember when that movie came out a long mm-hmm. time ago. And I was obsessed with that actress, that girl mm-hmm. in that movie. Okay. And I was like, why am I obsessed with this girl? I, I went home. I couldn't stop thinking about her. I was like, she's so pretty, but I, I don't know. I've never felt this way about boys. This is wrong, right? Yeah. So, yeah, I struggled with that all through all through um, junior high and high school. But I got my first girlfriend in my senior year. Um, but it was a secret, right? She was a lot older than me. I would go visit her on the weekends in Salt Lake City. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, basketball was always right there. I got a full ride scholarship my junior year to Salt Lake Community College. Really? So, yeah. So once I got that full ride my junior year and locked that down, my focus kind of drifted off. You know, it drifted off. Like, oh, I have this girlfriend. I'm like coming out a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm gonna drink every weekend with her up in Salt Lake, and my love for basketball just kind of went down on the down roll, right? And priorities uh, changed. Yeah, totally. Mm. So. You know, during this, I, I I take this full ride scholarship. I moved to Salt Lake. The second I moved to Salt Lake, that was literally when I was like, I have arrived. Right? I, I came out. <laughs> I, I told my family. They weren't really surprised at all. My they dad knew. was like, "About time you told me." I found this love letter that you had written. I don't even know what he was talking about, but but he, they made it really easy. You know, like yeah. my family was so supportive. They still are so supportive, and I have a lot of friends from Utah that did not have that story. Right? They. Yeah. They came out and they, the family disowned them. Um, I had, a, it's just, it's, it's sad, it's you know, it's yeah. tough. 
So um, I'm really grateful for my family's support through that. But so I go, I go to Utah or to Salt Lake and I have this fluoride scholarship. I'm out of the closet and this drinking, the drinking, like all these people, I, I met all these lesbians and they all partied. And I was like, that's what I want my <laughs> life to look like. Yeah. Like no more basketball. Screw that. Um, I, I was going to, so I was playing on the college team and every night I was out drinking with these girls and with my friends. And back then I could drink till six in the morning and wake up at 7am and go to practice. Yeah. Like I could handle it then. And, and that's what I was doing, but I was like sucking. I, I was sitting on the bench a lot, you know, and my hope, my dreams of becoming this WNBA star, just like no longer right downhill. Yeah. Now my, now my dream is to drink every single day and party and just hook up with girls. That's mm-hmm. all I wanted to do. So, man, and this is when, like, drugs started, and I was doing ecstasy and, like, other things, and I would go to practice, like, rolling, and I don't know how I was functioning or how I was doing this (laughs) at all, but I I remember going into my coach's office, and I I sat down with her, and I said, I don't want to play basketball anymore, and she's like, what are you talking about? And I said, my heart's just not in it anymore, and I remember she just looked at me, she's like... She was like, in five years, five years from now, I want you to come back and tell me how that worked out for you. Mm. And in my head, I was like, oh, I'm going to be fine. Oh, that'll be fine. What do you mean? You know, she saw something yeah. that I couldn't see. All I could see at that moment was party, 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 girls, girls, girls. I'll be able to manage this and control this the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll go back to school, you know, after after this phase is over, right? So, you know, and, and that really stuck with me what she said because, you know, I left. It's powerful. Yeah. Yeah, it was totally. your coach, yeah. Totally. And so I dropped out of school. How long did you stay for before you dropped uh, out? A year. Yeah. Yep. My freshman year. Got it. So once I quit, um, it was just when it all started. And from the age of 19, it was a, a liter of vodka every single day. Mm. Every single day. So you got an out. So a little bit of the heavy drinking long term alcoholism. Yes. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. I, uh, I lived for the bottle. I did. I truly did. Um, once I quit the team, it was I was all on my own from from then on. So, from nineteen to twenty three, this is when I was just like a liter of vodka every single day. I was still a bunch of my friends still drank with me. Um, you know, I didn't feel so alone yet. It, it was just kind of the party years with mm-hmm. a bunch of people. Everyone was kind of doing the same thing, so I didn't really see I had a problem yet. Mm-hmm. You know, and I just remember going to the liquor store every single day and. I couldn't hold a job, and I was like, hmm, this might be a problem. I can't hold a job. <laughs> like, hmm. Something could be yeah, wrong. Yeah, something could be wrong. But I see my sisters, that they drink every night. Like, what's wrong with me? Why Why can you guys drink, and, and yeah. why, why can't I? And why Why am I not working? Why do I feel sick in the morning? Why, why do I have no momentum? Why, do, why am I obsessed mm-hmm. with just wanting to drink all the time? I didn't understand what was wrong with me, right? I remember going to this liquor store every single day, and this lady, the cashier, she... She had said, wow, you drink a lot, you know? <laughs> and I was like, damn right I do. Uh, you know, I was so proud of it back then, right? Yeah. I drink a lot. I could drink you under the table. Hell yeah. Hell yeah, right? So um, I remember her saying that. And she said, if ever I get the shakes, that probably, and I didn't know what that was at the time, but mm-hmm. she said, if I ever get the shakes, I'm going to know that my f- liver's probably failing and I probably have a problem. Wow. I was, I was like, well, that's great. I didn't a think little bit of medical other. advice yeah, from right? the, the, the cashier at the alcohol store. Yeah, didn't even think twice about it. I was just like, oh, well, that's never going to happen to me. You know, it's, it's crazy is our, our stories are different, but really, really similar. I started, you know, drinking and doing goofy stuff when I was, um, you know, 11 and 12 myself. And it, I'm just sitting here reminiscing on my story, but thinking about yours, it's like this habit that you pick up when you're young and it, it changes 
the your mind and how your mind operates with drugs and alcohol. You know, I think a lot of people really don't understand. I, I prescribe to the disease theory of um, alcoholism, where it's you know there's there's certain common things that we see in all people who suffer from this. So you know, I see a lot of the same things in myself when I was young. You know, I picked up these behaviors and these habits, um, and it seemed to make sense for me because I didn't know any different. And then your logic just kind of follows that illogical path where you don't really understand what's going on. And the complete abnormality of it to everyone surrounding you, it doesn't seem abnormal to you. You're like, no, this is normal. Like people Mm -hmm. are having the, you know, see me in five years. If your liver shuts down, you're going to shake. You're like, those aren't normal conversations. But, you you know, I've had, I've had sat in front of people with similar conversations and I'm like, yeah, it's not, I'm going to be fine. So your brain just kind of adjusts to it and you just speak become that person it's a it's a crazy place to be absolutely i didn't i don't know why you're telling me this story but thank you you know yeah (laughs) but i remember that so from 19 to 23 those were kind of like what i was doing i wasn't really sick yet i was still kind of managing it i was living with friends here and there i couldn't hold a job right but i remember when i was 23 years old i was a server at this restaurant and i woke up one morning and i my hands were shaking And, and and i was like oh shit like they're she, shaking. She was right. And the first thing I thought about was that cashier mm. at the liquor store. And I was like, I remember what that lady said. She said if I, if she got the shakes, her liver's probably failing, right? And she probably has a problem. And all I thought about was maybe alcohol will cure these shakes. That was it. I quit my serving job. I went straight to the liquor store. I got a bottle. I drank liquor and it cured my shakes. And then that was the answer. It wasn't, oh, yeah. I need help. It wasn't, yeah. maybe I should quit drinking. It was maybe more alcohol will take care of this, mm. right? So... From the age from the age of twenty three to twenty six, I literally don't remember much. I've I've tried like over the years to remember those three years. Yeah. Um, but it looked like this every single day. So I would wake up shaking violently every single morning. Um, I, I was always living at someone's house or using up somebody to, you know, let them yeah. let me stay with them. I would use girls into believing, you know, I wanted to date them when I just wanted to use them up as yeah. long as I possibly could. So I'd wake up every morning shaking violently, so sick, sweating, um, and I'd walk. I always had a liquor store conveniently close to me. I, I don't know. Like, how did that happen? I don't know. I got lucky. But I didn't have a car or a license, <laughs> I think you right? were choosing wisely. Yeah, I guess so, right? Yeah. Subconsciously. But uh, I, yeah, I'd choose a girlfriend that lived right next to a liquor store. And I didn't even realize it. Anyways, picking them job. geographically. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> So I'd wake up every morning shaking. I'd walk to the liquor store, right? And and if I had enough money at that time and I knew I was going to get liquor soon, I felt better. Mm. And, and, and it was weird to me. Like, I felt so shitty 10 minutes ago before I had the money for this, you know, $5 bottle of Barton. But now that I have it and I'm on my way, I feel better, right? Mm. And I always carried a backpack with me. Um, so I got to the liquor store and my hands would shake so bad that I'd have to put the money on the counter because I couldn't hand it to the lady. Yeah. And um, I, I got the bottle, I'd put it into my backpack and I'd walk back to, to whoever's house I was staying at that time. Once I'd get home, I'd put a straw in my vodka and straw in my chaser because I literally could not lift my hands up to my face. The shot glass or whatever it was would shake so bad it would spill everywhere before it got to my mouth. Mm. So I would drink um, the vodka and I drink the chaser and I always threw up that first shot. Always. Like it was just stomach lining because I couldn't eat. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and I'd do it again. I shot of my vodka, a shot of my chaser. I like stay down, stay down, stay down. And I'd eat like a saltine cracker every hour. Right. To be able to at least have some food in me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wasn't eating. I was puffy. My hair was brittle. I had bruises all over my body and had no idea how they got there. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was from 
the age of 23 to 26. That's that's all I remember is that waking up like that every single day and then being in oblivion. So I, I would just drink, pass out, drink, pass out, drink, pass out. That was that was my life. And, you know, at the age of 26, I remember I was visiting my cousin uh, and I was staying over at his house and I woke up the next morning and something was definitely wrong with me. And it was different than all those other mornings, right? Like I, I felt, you know, shaking and, you know, detoxing and things like that, but it wasn't that. And I told my cousin, I said, call 911, call 911, something's wrong with me. Like I felt like I was dying or something. I didn't know what it was. So we called the ambulance and the ambulance came and got me and they, they checked me out and they rushed me to ICU after they checked my vitals and things like this. And they rushed me to ICU and I was there for a few days and I, I remember I was so in and out of it. And when I came to, there's two doctors came into my room and they said, it was a good thing you got here when you did, right? You would have been dead in 30 minutes. I guess something was wrong with my potassium levels and mm. things like that. And they said, you are not going to live to be 30 if you keep drinking this way. You will not, right? And that scared me enough to um, get sober for a little bit. You know, I went into a detox. Um, I went to a sober living home. I, I got sober for, for just a little bit, but, you know, I didn't stay sober. And yeah. from the age of 26 to 20 nine or 30, that was my life. I would, I would I'd get sober for a little bit and then just go back out. I'd get sober for a little bit and go back out. You know, I, I, I don't, I didn't know how I couldn't stay sober. I didn't know. No, I didn't want to stay sober. Right. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to, I didn't want to do these things people were telling me to do to, to stay sober and stay long term. So I just couldn't see it. I couldn't mm -hmm. see it. I hated being sober. Right. I, every time I'm sober, I'm irritable. I'm just, I just crawling out of my skin. Like why do this when I could just be drunk, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and I lived that way for a long time until finally, you know, I ended up on the streets out here in Las Vegas, um, back in 2000, January of 2017. So how did you end up from Salt Lake to Vegas? Okay. So yeah. So in Salt Lake, I got sober for a little bit and I met a girl on online, right? Always has to do with the girl. <laughs> Always, right? Always got something to do with the yeah, girl. Yeah. So relocated for the girl. <laughs> so I moved to, to California for, um, for a girl. She had two kids. So I was like stepmom at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, couldn't stay sober, put those kids in a lot of danger, right? Mm -hmm. Babysitting drunk, let them drive on the highway while they sat on my lap driving, steering. Uh, oh, whoops. Right. I don't, <laughs> I don't think about this stuff. I never thought about this stuff. I don't it's care. It's not funny, but it's right. Yeah. Yeah. I don't care. So yeah. it was terrible. I mean, I ended up leaving California. Um, I came to Vegas because my sister lived here. So I followed her out to Vegas. I didn't really necessarily want to be back to Utah. Um, so yeah, I moved here in 2014 and got in another relationship. So yeah, my whole life is relationship after relationship after relationship after relationship, in and out of sobriety, in and out of sobriety, yeah. can't stay sober, burn my life to the ground, um, doing whatever I can, manipulating whoever I can, right, to to feed my addiction, because that's all I could see. The the weird thing about, well, it's not weird. The reason I prescribe to the, and just so the listeners know, we're, we're going somewhere with all this. I think it's just a story of massive adversity and achievement, right? And I wanted everybody to hear the backstory because if you really understand the backstory, then you really have a good idea for how powerful you are and what you've done with your life. Because, you know, I'm sure all of the listeners have somebody in their family or know somebody that's gone through alcohol or drug addiction and have some idea of how tenacious and relentless and senseless and just crazy it can be. The, the, the interesting thing about, you know, being an alcoholic and addict myself 
is that you you really have this inside perspective of how insane it really is. It's like going through, and it's hard for normal people to understand, but the reason that I prescribed the disease theory is because it's much like schizophrenia or clinical depression or clinical anxiety. I don't understand clinical um, depression. I don't understand clinical anxiety. I don't understand schizophrenia because I've never suffered for it. But I believe that the people that are suffering through it are suffering through a real mental disease. I just can't conceive it because I have not suffered through it. So it's really the same with addiction and alcoholism for me, having lived through it myself. It's this process of just dragging yourself behind, like getting tied to a horse on a rope and then just getting dragged behind the horse for years of your life through Mm -hmm. the desert and cactus and rocks and like where you're just destroying everything and then getting sober and then trying to figure out why everybody else is normal and I'm not normal and I can do this and I can do that and just burning everything to the ground consistently, you know, and everybody has to go through their, some, their own processes. And, you know, I know people who have been going through those processes for their whole life. Um, you know, my mom went through the process for her whole life. Um, you know, some people never figure it out, but it's, it's, you know, interesting to hear your story because it's just, it's so similar to everybody else with the disease, but Mm -hmm. so unique in its own way, because, you know, you're going through your life and these memories that we have, of just burning things down and hurting people and using people, it becomes very selfish. And I think that that's one of the biggest things that we have to learn is how to become unselfish and how to give. You know, I think that's one of the most amazing parts of your story. We'll get into that later, but just who you become as a human, changing from that self-serving individual, because that's really what, you know, addiction and alcoholism ends up being. You're just serving yourself, right? You're going to step over life. You're going to step over family. You're going to step over friends. You're going to step over people. You're going to manipulate situations. You're going to lie, cheat, and steal your way through relationships and life and anything that you can do because you're in this, you know, mental insanity of this massive obsession to keep doing what you're doing. And it's very, it's a very selfish thing, right? Because anybody from the outside that looks at it, you know, and this is, and I, I, I do this now because I'm sober. I look at people going through it. And I'm like, Jesus, just stop. Just stop. That doesn't make sense. Don't do that anymore. But they can't. So it's it's a weird thing that we go through. You know, so hearing your story, I, I haven't heard your story in this depth. And it's really interesting to hear it because you get a perspective on now. I know you so well how different you are now. So it's just amazing. Yeah, so here, here we are in Vegas. <laughs> yes. Um, how, does, Vegas. how does Vegas go? So Salt Lake City was... A fun ride. How does Vegas right? go? Yeah. Right. So yeah, I get to Vegas. Let's go. I think I have like nine, I managed to get like nine months of sobriety under me by the time I get here. Um, and I'm living with my sister here in Las Vegas. I get a job, I'm serving, um, and I get on Craigslist. Like I want a roommate, right? And I, I, I interviewed a few people and the people I chose was a lesbian couple that had bottles and bottles of liquor just surrounding their kitchen walls. <laughs> I was like this is it. This, this these is are perfect. my people yep. right here. Yep, I'm sober. Yeah. I'm gonna stay sober for sure. For sure. <laughs> but I'm gonna move into this house with about thirty full <laughs> bottles of liquor, right? Just in case. Yeah. So I end up living there. I end up drinking up all their liquor one day. Uh, I get kicked out of that house. Um, I get into a relationship. I'm still serving. I'm just back and forth. Um, and in my recovery, and finally, you know, I I got to a point where. Not one of my family members would answer my calls anymore. Mm-hmm. No one would deal with my shit any longer. I couldn't manipulate one more person to like let me crash on their couch, right? Um, 
and I'm homeless. I, I find myself homeless um, on the streets of Las Vegas here mm-hmm. in January 2017. And I'm in a relationship, of course, and we're just running the streets together. Was running. your girlfriend homeless at the time? Yep. So we both were homeless together, running the streets, just, you know, doing whatever we could. And this one, I got really, really into drugs, right? Right at this time. I'm, I'm really into, into meth. Um, I'm doing a lot of meth. I've never done a lot of meth before, and I didn't realize what a, doing a lot of meth would do to your brain. Mm-hmm. And I went quickly into a psychosis, right? Mm-hmm. And I tell these stories that I don't even know is real or not. Like, it was real to me. It was very real to me, but I'm not sure if it was reality, mm-hmm. right? So I was having conversations with people that weren't there. I thought I was in a movie. So I, I literally thought I was in a movie, and the directors were, were filming me, and I was supposed to do all these things for this movie I was in. So I would like break in, I would do, do things like break in a car, do yeah, things, right? Stuff, the stuff we do. Yes. And, yeah. but to me, I was in a movie and I was supposed to do these things and I never got caught for it. And I was like, that's because I'm in a movie and they're not going to bust me. I'm the star of the show. And that was my, re- that was literally my reality. Yeah. And, and I lived this way for about seven months in a very deep psychosis. And I was, I was living on top of, sleeping on top of the Todd's Motel off Las Vegas Boulevard. It's a abandoned hotel right right there mm-hmm. um i'm sleeping on the roof i wake up every morning just what's today gonna bring right like yeah. I, I need to get more drugs i need to get liquor um because i'll get sick if i don't have either now i'm at to a point where they go going the hand in hand together i am you know sleeping in obanas i'm sleeping on the side of the road um and and finally i i find the tunnel people mm-hmm. right i find the tunnel people and um i make friends with them and so just just for our listeners, so um, my wife Misty and I had an opportunity for a couple months to go down um, into the Las Vegas tunnels with a group called Shinalite, and it's a great group. They go down and, and help people that are homeless that live in these tunnels. So in Las Vegas, you can actually Google it or YouTube it if you want a little more information on it. But it's you know you can Google tunnel people or YouTube it. There's hundreds of miles of these storm tunnels in Las Vegas under the Strip, around the Strip, all over the city. And they're really waterways, but they're huge. You can stand up in them. Um, you can, they're literally miles and miles of these things. And people live in there in the winter and the summer, um, it, just all, all around the year. And it's a really tough life. I was homeless. I, I was homeless in Hawaii. So I can't, like I was, I was sleeping in a stairwell in Hawaii. I remember I would get kicked out, but then I would just go lay on the beach behind a brick wall. So it wasn't too tough. Um, as the tunnels and going down in the tunnels, you really get, um, it's intense. It's an intense life. It's an intense community. It's, it's a, it's homeless, but it's, it's a very unique type of homeless. It's tough. It's raw. It's really gritty down there. There's a lot of serious stuff. I mean, I, Misty and I would walk down the tunnels, you have flashlights and you're giving out socks and different things to people, food who need stuff. And it's, you know, I'm a, I'm, I'm a pretty big guy and I can handle myself but it's intimidating. It's an intimidating environment. Um, there were some scary moments where you're in just some really, you know, un, un people, you just cannot determine what somebody's going to do when they're on drugs. Um, so it, you know, the tunnels in Vegas are, they're pretty, it's, it's sketch down there. It's an yes. intense place to live. So there you are, you find yourself from the roof to the tunnels. Yeah. How does that transition go? Yeah, it was great. I was like, wow, there's shelter, <laughs> you know, it's not so hot. Yeah. Um, being right under the Vegas sun on the rooftop, right? It's amazing the rationale you yeah, developed. Yeah, I was like, this is great. Yeah. <laughs> as long as, literally, and I tell people this a lot, as long as I had liquor, I don't care where I was. If mm. I was in a penthouse or was on, I was in the tunnels, as long as I had that relief that alcohol gave me, mm. my whole life, I was cool, right? I, yeah. I would strut around 
downtown like I was somebody because that's what liquor did for me. Mm -hmm. I'd have my little $2.13 pint of Barton vodka in my back pocket and I'd be strutting like, you know, like I own the place. Yeah. Because that's what it did for me. And and, and that's what I live for. So when I, when I hit the tunnels, I'm like, oh, these, these people, they're, they're my people, right? I just, Mm -hmm. they're my people. Let's let's go. Right. Every day we'd go out and hustle. We'd bring something to, to the, you know, the little council. So there's like a council which which one tunnels. were you at, if you don't mind? I was at, I was mostly at the Koval and Flamingo location right there by mm-hmm. the Meridian Condos. Yep. So the Meridian Condos are a timeshare. Mm-hmm. I shouldn't go into this story a little bit, so I'm gonna skip that one. But anyways, I found <laughs> okay. shelter the way I had to find shelter, right? But um, yeah, Flamingo and Koval, and I also hung out under the now Virgin Hotels. It was yeah, Hard Rock. Yep. So I was hanging down there a lot, and we would just hustle all day. And those were you know that, those are my friends, and I would do that. You know, I was I was I was homeless for two years. Um, so you were in the tunnels for two years or just homeless for, so from 2017 to 2019 was the total January. Well, 2017 to uh, actually just to be almost exactly. It would be December, 2016 to October 27th, 2018. Copy that. Yep. So, um, so yeah, I was in the tunnels here and there, but then I'd move to downtown and then I would like stay at people's houses and sell stuff for them and sell drugs. And then I would be, I was all over the place. Mm-hmm. Right. But the end part was, yeah, the tunnels. And I had my crew right down there, um, until, you know, one day it just, it just was too much. And, and it's hard to explain what happened to me, but so I had never, I, I had always said, you know, I'm never going to do this. I'm never going to do that. If I ever do this. I'm going to get sober. If I ever do this and, you know, I drawing lines in the yes. sand and then walking across right them. Right across them. Right. And, yeah. it, and every single one of them almost. Right. And it, to a point where I had nothing, I had nothing left inside. It, it wasn't that I lost everything financially or materialistically. Yeah, it, it bypasses material yes. and it goes into a spiritual, like who you are as a human being, what you care about, your love, your self-love, your self-care, your your humanity, right? It's, those are the lines. I've crossed a million of those lines myself, so I know yeah. what you mean. It, yeah. You just feel like an empty shell of a of a of a body. You're not. It, it, it was it was hard. Like I would drink a ton. I started drinking a ton and doing a lot of drugs, and nothing was working anymore. Mm-hmm. Like it just wasn't working anymore. And it used to make me feel so confident, like I could do anything. And now it's not doing anything for me, and I'm scared. I can't hustle another day. Um, I can't. I can't be seen by the world because I'm so ashamed of myself. Right? I, I'm just this shell of a person, and and it, it's crazy. I was I was laying on the tunnel floor um, early on October 2018, and I just had that feeling like I did when I was little of like I'm gonna be in the WNBA one day and be a millionaire. Mm-hmm. I just had this overwhelming feeling of hope. That's like that's all I could how I can describe it, and I just I can do this. It was weird, you know, and and, kind of like a god shot. Yes, absolutely, and and I just prayed to this thing I didn't really believe in, right? And I'm just like, God, help me do this. Help me finally be done with this, right? Mm -hmm. And I I left the tunnels and I laid down on Koval and Flamingo. I just laid down on the side of the road and I just prayed in the sky, like God, if you won't kill me, I'm too scared to kill myself. Mm -hmm. I'm not dying. I, I'm too afraid to hustle any longer. I can't do this anymore. So the only the only other option is, you know, to get sober and try this thing out and, and try to have this life that I've always dreamt about, right? And so I called a friend. Um, they Ubered me off the street. They let me detox. It was actually a, an old barber friend of mine. I didn't know him that well, but for some reason I called him because I was like, maybe he'll answer the phone. Nobody else will. Isn't it weird when, you know, it's the, I don't know about if this is the right saying for this, but when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. But 
you know, I, I love God shots, you know, and that it's not some spirituality is not something we'll, we'll get into too heavily, but for me, attraction when I've needed, um, when I've needed something the most and I was in the most pain and I've had those moments and the, the key just churned, the doors just opened. So it was like, you know, I don't know why you called that person either. Obviously you don't know why you called that person, but there's a reason that you called that person because they're in the story. Yeah. So you call them and what happened, that's just, that's an amazing part. I love that. Right. Crazy. I don't even, I just feel like he was so nice to me. You're right. He doesn't know. I haven't, screwed him over yet right maybe he'll be nice literally maybe <laughs> yeah. he'll be nice to me enough to help me yeah so he ubered me he sent a, an uber i barely know this guy he sends an uber to pick me up he, i go to his barbershop and he lets me detox in the back of his barbershop wow well he locked the doors he, he let me he took me to the liquor store because i guess my sister had told him i had a i was an alcoholic so he was scared that i was gonna die, die. so he took Which me to liquor possible yeah he took yeah. me to liquor store it, it was weird though because usually I would have been like I want this and this bottle of vodka, this bottle of hard liquor, you know. But I was like maybe I'll just have like a tall boy, and, you know, just to just be safe. Keep the shakes off. So yeah. I, I I just felt like I was ready, right? Or something. Yeah. Um, and, and just, so I want to key yeah. on there for people who don't understand alcoholism. There there are certain things that a person can detox from that will kill them. Methamphetamine is not one of them, but opiates, Xanax, and alcohol. Xanax and alcohol being two of the primary. Um, things that will kill you when you detox from them if you don't detox properly. So alcoholics can die of detox. So what what you're talking about here is just kind of having enough medication at that point to not die from. Because um, a lot of times when people, even if they go to jail, but if they go to rehabs or anywhere, they'll get a little bit of a medical detox to keep them from dying. So that's why you're making that choice. But I kind of see that cognition in there. You're like, okay, I don't want to die. I gotta, <laughs> so I'm just yeah. going to get a tall boy. Yeah. yeah. Yep. And I think being on meth actually helped because I just crashed. It helped me crash out. Yeah. Like, I don't know if I know. You ever know about meth, but you just yeah, sleep. It's the easiest detox in the world. You <laughs> yeah. sleep and eat. Sleep and eat. Yep. Sugar and That's sleep. It. <laughs> so so that helped. And then um the next day he let he took me to his family's house and he trusted me enough to be in his house. Crazy, right? Insane. But he let me stay in their guest bedroom. I met his family. I ate with his family. Um and the next day I took a bus to um a sober living house that I that I knew about and the the guy that runs the sober living house, Kurt, um, love him. Yeah. He told me if I could pee clean, he'd let me in the house, you know, and it took a while. So I was just sleeping at friends that I knew were sober. I would crash at their house and then go take the bus right back to sober living and try to pee again. Finally, I was I, I was able to stay, right? And that was the last drink I had was October 26th, 2018. So my sobriety date is October 27th. 2018. Well, that's congratulations, Thanks. by the way. It's a long time. Where's the barber? You know, the barber, I speak to him now and then. I really need to go and like thank him because I don't think I've ever really thanked him. Yeah. You know, like I, like I need to because, yeah, I, I yeah. kind of just, you know, I, I, <laughs> he did a lot for me and I don't even think he realizes what he did for yeah, me that day. I, I'm just trying to think of that. You know, like what would I do? I'd say, I don't know. I guess it would depend. But if somebody called me and they're like, hey, I'm homeless right now. I'm trying to kick meth and alcohol. Can I come stay at your house? <laughs> I'll be like, <laughs> right. like, I'll get you a hotel room. Yeah. But to let you like to open his shop and to open his home. I mean, you know, talk about God shots. It's just the, the person that you need just appears. So that's, Crazy. that's huge. Yes. So you go into, so October 26th. 27th. Oh, 27th. Whoops. You go in and you clean and then the next day you're sober. Yeah. And then um, how long are you in sober living for? 
Six months. You start working? Okay, so this is the great part. So I had accumulated a lot of legal charges, right? Through being in and out, uh, through Heck my yeah. drinking, Comes right? with it. Yes. So part of the game. I come into sober living with three felonies, mm-hmm. one fugitive uh, felony warrant. Um, oh, it was a mess, right? So I, yeah. So <laughs> I'm sober and I'm like, all of life, all of the things I had done, right? Just hits me. Yeah. And I'm like, oh my God, where do I begin? What do I do? I have an ankle monitor. So the last time being in jail, they put an ankle monitor on my ankle and I still have it on when I'm in sober sober living. So I have to find a job and able to support myself, right? Because we had to pay rent, right? It wasn't free rides. So the first job I took was literally, I didn't have an ID or anything like that. I had all these warrants. So I was too afraid to get a a real job, right? I'm not going to do illegal stuff anymore, right? So... I found a guy at a pizza that owned a pizza place and he asked me if I wanted to deliver flyers for him under cas- hotel doors mm-hmm. in the casinos for oh, yeah. five Pizzas cents a and flyer. Stuff. Yeah. Yep. And I was like, sure. Why not? How many is this going to take to make 50 bucks, right? <laughs> so he gave me a huge stack. How many hundreds is that? I got to get my calculator uh, yeah. out. Jeez. Hundreds and hundreds of flyers. I have an ink monitor on. This is illegal. Oh, I guess this is kind of illegal, right? With security, they'll kick you out. So I'm like dodging security through the stratosphere, through Circus Circus. I always wondered who was put, because I've gotten yeah, those flyers. That was me. Like pizza. That was yeah. me. Okay. So I'm just going as fast as I can, right? Yeah. Whatever I got to do, right? I've always been a hustler my yep. whole life. And I, I'm like, I'm going to make money. I'm very money, money oriented. Yeah. And, um, so yeah, all day long, this is what I'm doing, trying to dodge security. And that was my first job. First real good, you know, yeah. normal job-ish. Normal. In a while. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, I just kept... Well, really, since, yeah, because I mean, you went in and out of, of sobriety, but I mean, you played ball, left ball, and then ruined all your jobs because you were in and out of sobriety, being a train wreck. So this, yeah, it was like your first cognitive yeah. job where Mara was present. Yeah. And it was flyers. So here, you know what I love about that. So when I got when I got out um, when I got out in two thousand seven from incarceration, my last time, I worked at a car wash. Um, you know, I went to Casa Grande, which was a halfway house, and I worked at a car wash. And um, when I got out, out, I still worked at the car wash, and I worked there for a couple of weeks before I went over to the limousine company. But there was a complete lack of ego, right? When you're ready. Right. And because you see these people, they have this ego. I'm too good for that. Like I, I would never pass out flyers. I would never, you know, I was the dude when, when the car would come out, I had a, I had a rag and I would wipe your car down. It's this old, this actually the car wash is still there. I drive by some, it's on Serene and Eastern. It's one of the only car washes that you drive through and a dude wipes the water spots off. Right. That was me. So just a complete lack of ego. And I love that because when you're ready you have absolutely no ego and you're willing to do whatever it takes because that's, that's real ego. That's real pride. It says, I'm, I'm not too good to do anything. I'll I'll do whatever it takes. And that's that like, you know, mental toughness that starts to develop when a person's a hundred percent ready to commit to their own lives and start to change things. It's like five cents a flyer. Yeah. How many you got? Let's go. Yeah. Literally. (laughs) I love that. I remember the guy, he was like, he would spy on us too to make sure we were actually doing our oh, job. Yeah. He'd be like hiding in the bushes and stuff. <laughs> yeah. uh, make sure we weren't throwing them away. I've done flyer <laughs> drops. It's my, like I, we, back in the day in a couple of years, like three, four years ago in Vegas, flyer drops were the big thing for solar. 
and everybody was doing them. And I, we hired this company and like, that was our biggest fear. It was like, how do I know I'm not giving her four grand and she's just taking yeah. them and dumping them in. So we would like go to the neighborhoods oh. after her and we would drive down the street and make sure that the flyers were all on the doors oh, yeah, to smart. try and catch her. Right? Yeah. Especially yeah. having an employee that has an ankle monitor on their, on their ankle. <laughs> Gotta be trustworthy, right? Yeah. You're going to pass out the flyers. Man. So during, yeah, after this, I'm, I'm, I'm facing all these, these court cases and, um, my mentor, I'll say at the time, my spiritual advisor, uh, to just do it, you know, just go face this stuff, just yeah. face it. Whatever's whatever's gonna happen is supposed to happen. Maybe yeah. you're supposed to talk about, you know, sobriety in jail. And I was like, that sounds terrible. Hopefully, yeah. that's not my my life, right? <laughs> um, but I faced, I went into court, and I, you know, I told the judge what I was doing, what I was up to, and. I was already supposed to do six months. Um, that was already set because I was dodging. I was on the run, right, with this judge. And yeah. he. I faced him again. It was one of the toughest judges in Vegas. And um, my mentor was there with me in court. And he said, Miss Bess, you owe me six months. And he was, like, running it through. And I was like, wait, judge, this is what I'm doing, right? Like, And um, my mentor at the time almost got up and objected. It was so funny. But um, he, I don't know what happened. He, I told him who sober living I was in, and he said, "Oh, Kurt. Oh, yeah, I know him. I didn't know he had a a woman's house." And he said, "I tell you what, Miss Best, I'm gonna give you one more shot, but I'm not messing around this time. Like I am not." You closed him. Yeah, I did. Well, I was a closer. <laughs> no, man, but it was like it was crazy. It was total. Go- I I don't know how I. And then I went to the other ones, the fugitive uh, felony that I had from leaving the state. And then I went to another one. And it's just like, bam, bam, bam. I'll give you another chance. I'll give you another chance. This is your last chance. This is your last chance. This is your last chance. And I, I truly believe that, like, I don't know. They knew I was ready. God knew I was ready. So he gave me yeah. a shot. I, I'm not sure. But it was it was nuts. And so I cleared all that stuff up. And now I'm, you know, I'm taking a, a serving job. And I'm just serving. And I remember um, I had met Sonia. Um, during this time, actually in the beginning, right back in 2018 or 19, early on. And I remember she was a server last time I had talked to her, you mm-hmm. know, cause we had some of the same friends and I saw her one night and I, I said, what are you doing now? How are you? And she's like, I'm good. I'm, I'm doing solar. I said, what do you mean you're doing solar? And she's like, I, so just to give a little yeah. content to the listeners, Sonia's my daughter's mom and she worked uh, with our company selling solar for a while when, when Mara met her. And I, before I get too far, I, mm-hmm. there was something I wanted to say. So there was something, and again, not to talk about religion or God shots, but I, I heard something once that really impacted me. And it said that the reason that I believe is because the the instances that have happened to me have been so relentless. They have come at me so many times. There have been so many situations that seemed too far spread to be coincidence, just like unbelievable situation, like a judge, like a barber, like a this, like a that, where you're just like, this has to be some type of divine intervention because it happened so many times in a row. When I was ready, the doors just started opening. So I love that because that's what I hear. It's just this relentless thing that comes at you that says, do good and believe and yeah. I will carry you through the yeah. fire. So I, I love that part of the story. So yeah. back to Sonia. So you're serving and there you meet Sonia. She was a server and now she's selling solar. Is that when you met her? Or you knew yeah. her when she was a, a server? Yeah, I knew her when a server. But to touch on what you just said, I know we don't want to talk about spirituality too much. We but can talk about it all you want. Yeah, I'm, no, I'm good with a it. A huge part of my my, yeah. my sobriety, right? I so, believe in God. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I didn't, right? I, yeah. I, the only God I knew was this judgmental God that I grew up with. It was like, damn it. Like, I felt like I was, you know, I'm gay. I'm an alcoholic. Like, 
how does God love me, right? Because that's I grew up with this God that I yeah. believed was, you know, different. Judgmental. Yes, right? So yeah. when I get into sobriety, I, I'm, you know, I'm pushed to, like, find this higher power. And, and I said, what does this have to be? You're right? Like, I'm, like, fighting it. I'm mm-hmm. like, it's not what I always thought it was supposed to be. Can it be whatever I want it to be? Yeah. And, truth, yeah, whatever you want it to be. And so I wrote... She had me write a list of like what I want my higher power to be, and it was literally like non-judgmental, loved me no matter what, like mm-hmm. this whole list. And I was like, "Is this is this right?" <laughs> She's like, "Yep, that's perfect. That's your higher power." Yeah. I was like, "Oh my god, it's amazing!" Boom. So yes, yeah. And then she saw, and then she asked me. She said, "I want you to look back on your life and see how God's kind of worked in your life, your whole life, you know." And yeah. and instead of you know while I was living it, being like, "Oh." Poor me, poor me. God dealt me a bad hand, and all these things, right? I'm, I'm able to like really look at this and seeing how everything had led me to this point. Like, I went to, every time I went to jail is because I was about to die. Yeah. Like, literally, I remember almost dying in 118 degree heat mm-hmm. on the streets in a psychosis, you not having any food or water or anything. Saved your life. And saved my life. Yeah. Um, another time, you know, with me and my ex girlfriend, she's overdosing and dying on heroin mm-hmm. in my passenger seat. And literally, her face is blue. Her lips are blue. Mm-hmm. I'm on my way to get her more heroin because mm-hmm. that's who I am. And a cop pulls us over, takes her to jail. Mm-hmm. She stayed sober. Ever, yep. Wow. She got six months, and she stayed sober from that. Like, I see these things, and I'm like, holy shit. Like, something has been taking care of me. I am here for a reason, You right? kind of realize that life was happening for you yes. instead of to you. Exactly. Because, you know, like, I think a lot of... like. It's our feet that do the walking. These are these are our choices, right? There's no like it's our it's my choice. When my my mistakes, everything that I went through, they were my choices. But I had I I love this conversation because I had so many instances really similar. I was I'll tell this little story. I was in San Quentin in Badger section with this guy, and I remember he was like this spiritual, but he was a singer and like. Uh, in in a moment, I remember like the moment that I started believing in God, it was the weirdest thing. And I've questioned myself, was that like, because I was in this really shitty little tiny cell in this dungy ass prison, like, but it wasn't. And then I, when I look back from that moment and I look at all of the crazy stuff that I did and how situations worked out, I have so much gratitude for everything because I really realized that um, life was happening for me. Like I was I was causing a massive amount of damage and it was a lot of it was like being Neo in the matrix where like somehow spiritually, like I was dodging these crazy bullets that could have killed me or incarcerated me for life or just done awful, terrible Mm -hmm. things. And so I realized like, wow, that was there. That was present the whole time. So I really relate with what you're saying because it's just like, it's powerful. And you look back and that's the relentless nature of it. That's just like makes you, believe yeah Yeah. absolutely it was such a turning point for me in my life and my in my sobriety so you know i believe from that moment on maybe you know maybe i'll be all right you know maybe if i just you know trust the process right that we talk about that i'll be all right i've made it this far you know what i mean yeah um so yeah so i'm meeting sonia i i had met i had known her when she had just what she was serving and i saw her again and i asked her what she was doing were you girls working together no 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 i just seen her for mutual friends sure yep so um Asked her what she was doing now, and she said she was doing solar. And I said, "What do you do for that?" And she says, "I could do door to door." And I was just like, "That is terrible." I was like, "There's <laughs> no way in hell you're gonna. You're so you're such a pretty girl. Why would yeah, you do that you to doing? yourself? You're gonna yeah. get raped or That's killed. Crazy. Or, yes, yeah, it's no. stupid, dumb, dumb idea, dumb, dumb, bad. Nope. Yep. So, 
I probably laughed at her behind her back that day. And <laughs> what an idiot! What an idiot! Uh, and then I didn't, I didn't see her for a while. And I remember just, I added her on Facebook and Instagram, and I just followed her life. And I remember seeing a post of like her in the, I don't remember some islands with like her brand new Mercedes and like this amazing life. And mm. I'm like, what? What is going on? So I texted her and I said, Sonia, are you still doing solar? And she said, yes. And I said, I want to do it. And I, I was serving at this time, right? I was been serving this whole time. Um, but everything in me, like throughout these, you know, years, I'm sober and I'm just like, I want more. I want more. I don't know what it looks like. I don't know how I'm going to get there, but I just want more from this burning. Just like I want more, you know, mm-hmm. so what, how, whatever I got to do it. Mm-hmm. And so I saw this life with Sonia and I, and she said, come in for an interview. Um, I came in for an interview and they hired me and I started um, with Arcadia November first, two thousand twenty. Was it me? Arcadia. It was Arcadia. Yes, yeah, you, Lee. <laughs> it was me. It was Lee and Misty and Alec and all those people at the time. But yeah, yeah I, you guys career. hired me on. Yep. So you know, and so I, I want to. I'm going to shoot back to Sonia yeah. in a second because I think there's something really cool in there. So here you come, in you come. Yeah. And I remember you, and I was like, "There's a weird thing that happens when you've been in the industry for a while. You." you 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 kind of have this ability to spot one like you, right? Where you're like, you know, it's a weird industry because intrinsically the people that are successful generally in my experience have a few things. One one thing that they have is they have an abundance mindset, but the other thing that they have is grit, right? Like doors aren't the toughest thing in life they had faced. And that's why we see a lot of the LDS members um, be really mm-hmm. successful indoors is because, you know, as young men, so this is weird. I was just in Sacramento and I saw two LDS girls. I didn't know LDS girls did missions, <laughs> but they go out on these missions and it's, you know, you're a young man or a young woman off you go, you get shipped off and you get a bicycle and you don't have a lot of money and you have to figure it out and you go knock doors for a couple of years and it creates grit. We don't have that story. We have another type of grit, but when you came in, you had the thing and I, I recognized it right away. And I, I, I was attracted to that thing in you. And I, we talked a lot and I'm like, you got the thing, dude. And you went out and hit it. And so how does that part of the process go for you? Oh man. So I was so excited to start this job. You guys, I was like telling everybody that I was going to come in and kill it. Mm-hmm. And I was going to be like, rich and I like have all these things. Yeah. I just literally, it looked so easy. I was like, oh, that's nothing. I'm going to come in and do it. Kill this thing. And mm-hmm. I, and I came in my first week. I hit, got two deals my first Saturday. Mm-hmm. So I remember I made three grand my very first Saturday and I was like, this is easy, easy right? Peasy. This is so easy. I got this. And I, I went and I kept working. I kept working, but, but I didn't know at the time what I know now, of course, like you don't see it then. Mm-hmm. And, and I remember sitting in class and I remember everyone teaching about, Read books. Um, be become a person of value. You always said that. Like you, it always stuck with me. Like I, I want you to become a person of value, and the money come with it. And I didn't know what that meant, right? At the time, I just saw money, money, mm-hmm. money, money. Um, and so I just money kept, follows value. Yes, and I didn't know what you meant by being a person of value. So I just kept. I was. I had a lot of grit. That's true. I would work Monday through Saturday, and I would just go door, 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 door. But I didn't wasn't listening to what you guys were teaching me. Mm-hmm. I just thought that if I hit enough doors, all this money would come with it. But what I was doing is I was just knocking as many doors as I can, bulldozing people, talking Mar- to them. Mar- like, just to give I you a shout out, a you, you had the thing we can't teach. <laughs> Mara was a pit bull. Mara would bulldoze the shit out of people, and she would get. She would get accounts, like she would get appointments, but they no one would sell. Nobody would sit. No, and I was telling Misty before we started the podcast today that I remember that January, that December and January, I think I set forty 
ACs mm-hmm. and one sold. Yeah. One sold. And and I remember that during that time, I was just so mad. I, I was filled with so much envy because this job, it's easy to get some envy and jealousy in, the, yep. in this job. So I, I lived in it. I lived in so much. And I was just so mad. I was so jealous of everybody around me. Whose fault was it? Everybody's. Everybody I've, else's. I've heard this story. Every, it's your fault. Tell it's, it. it. It's Alex's fault. It's uh, it, everybody's fault. Ruben's fault. Amber's fault. All these yeah. people. They you all guys don't suck. Know, they all suck, right? Bastards. I'm way better than them. I work harder than them. I work longer than them. Why are their deals closing and mine not? And everything was everybody else's fault. And I was pissed. And I was like cursing at my phone. I would throw my phone and I'd go home and like yell at everybody around me. Um, everyone had to deal with this shit, right? Mm-hmm. And, 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 and I lived in so much negativity during this time. I was just so pissed off and I ended up quitting. Yeah. I, 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 I couldn't, I, I just did it to myself and I didn't realize what I was doing. I literally thought in my mindset, in my paradigm that it was everybody else's fault and I went straight back to when I was younger, like God dealt me a bad hand. Why me? Why me? Why me? This is a cycle in my life, you know? And I, it was just, I felt so defeated, but in my, within myself, and I ended up quitting, you know? Yeah. And so I, I want to keen on that because I got mad at you. I was mad because I knew you had it. And I remember pulling you aside, you know, and as my mom used to say, if I'm telling you something and you don't understand, it's my fault. So I felt guilty. I felt like, dude, how do I teach this woman who has this um, rot? So I was on doors when I first started with Pat Mendes. And the first door I knocked, I'm like, my name's Lee. I'm the alarm manager. Can I come in? And the dude's like, no way. And I remember Pat like laughing and walking me back to the car. And he's like, that's the thing I can't teach people is that grit, that thing. And I knew you had that same thing. And that's why I was so upset because I'm like, if you would just slow down and let me teach you prospecting and qualifying better where we're just getting you into more legitimate, good conversations, but I couldn't break through. And you were in your head, you're doing the, you know, this is something that we all go through as reps, right? Yeah. Cause at some point we're all reps and I've been through it a million. I've taken myself off text threads and I'm like, these bastards, they're all winning. Mm-hmm. I'm off. I'm out. Right. Yep. Mad at people, jealous of people. Like it's, it's part of the game because you have, so it's such high pressure situation on yourself, right? Because you're in control of your finances. Yeah. And when you left, I was upset. Like I was like, it, I, my feelings, I don't know that you hurt my feelings. My feelings were just hurt because I'm like, I knew you had the thing. And I just, I wanted you to have it because I knew your story. And I'm like, dude, I want you to have this present. I want you to have this gift. And you left. And so just really quick, the thing I wanted to talk about Sonia was you, and not to tell her story, but you saw the Mercedes and the pictures and all of that stuff. And, you know, Sonia went through a really big struggle in trying to figure out doors and sales herself. And so, you know, one of my original mentors, Casey, when he, we did his podcast, he talked about the fruits and the roots. Like each person that has success has really, really deep roots, right? And so people see these things, these achievements and the cars and all of these different things, but they don't see the struggle. So what you saw at that moment was you saw Sonia's car and she Mm -hmm. just bought a Mercedes and she's got a bunch of money and she's just moving into a house and she's wearing Gucci shoes and all this, like, you know, like, especially when we all first meet too, right? When we first start making money, I'm buying some Gucci. So you saw that, but you didn't see the months and months of struggles, right? And so at this point, the reason I wanted to key on that is because at this point, you had to come in and go through your own struggle. So I love that because it's like, you know, people really do see the tip of the iceberg, but they don't see what's underneath it. 
And I see that with people with you now where they're like, oh, Mara's doing all the, you know, 15, all these, it's amazing. And it's like, but they don't see everything that I saw. Yeah. I got to see you grow. So there you go. Off you yep. quit. I don't Just even quit. think you came and talked to me. No, I didn't. We texted. Yeah, I did oh, everything against really what mad. I was taught. I was, like, <laughs> I, was like, I was like, really? You didn't uh, even break up with me in person. No, you texted me I like texted a Tinder Misty. date. Yeah, Misty. Yep. Yeah. And I was like, I'm sick. I don't want to do this. I was scared. <laughs> I was scared. And I was just a, just a pansy, right? Yeah. And I'm just so filled with so much self-pity, right? Yeah. It's just me, me, me. I was like, what do you guys... You guys don't deserve this. You guys didn't help me succeed. You blah, blah, blah. Like in my head, anyone. Yeah, it didn't matter. Yeah. It didn't matter who it was. The world. The world. Yeah. Right. Outside so, yeah. circumstances. Yeah. I just did the crappy little, I'm sick. I'm not, I don't think this job's for me. Right. Yeah. Um, and I go back to serving. And I'm telling you, the 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 failure, I haven't I don't even know if I have felt that hard of failure when I started serving again. Like mm. knowing that I had given up such an opportunity, like just that feeling. I, I remember I was working at the Cheesecake Factory. And I would drive to work every day just just with so much like, ah, like, why did I do this? I'm driving. I'm doing the same job I've done for 20 years now. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no growth. There, mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm going to leave with 200 bucks maybe, you know, mm-hmm. 250 bucks tops. And this is going to be my life. Yep. And, and I was so down on, on myself over this. And I, I was at work and I'd be like, oh, I'm serving tables again. Like, wow. And so... Anyways, I had a focus on um, being of service, really. Like during this time when I'm when I'm on this break or whatever in serving, I just dove into my recovery. Um, and my mentors, you know, you need to be of service. You you need to go back to the the roots. You need to go back to the beginning, right? Mm-hmm. What? Why are you here? You know, and it's because I was I was helping someone else. I, mm-hmm. I, I was being of service. I and I dove into that, and I was helping you know other alcoholics at this time, and I just got out of myself and. It just kind of switched around for me. I don't know what happened. I think you know. I just God, you know, and being of service is what yeah. what saved me from this Giving. from this negative self talk and this negative beliefs and my my paradigm. And um, I I was sharing my story, kind of similar to like I am right now. And Sonia had been at the same place I was, and she heard me. She mm-hmm. heard me sharing, and um, it's crazy how this all happened because I never saw her in these gatherings right i never mm-hmm. saw her and yeah. i didn't see her very often but yeah. she happened to be here this night that i was sharing yeah um and she took me aside after and she said i love the way you share she she said that you have that thing yeah i was like what i don't know what you're talking about the she's thing. like there's just a thing yeah and I, I can't i can't explain what it is but will you will you come back and work for us and, and i want to make you my number two yeah i was like what do you mean you're number two what does this mean I, do i gotta be a closer because that's all i ever wanted like i remember when I started in November 2020, I wrote my goals and it was be top. I, I wrote down when I was a setter, mm-hmm. no one, I didn't know anything about solar, but I wrote in my top 10 goals, mm-hmm. I want to be a top closer. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be a top closer in the next three years. I'm going to be the top closer for Arcadia. Um, I'm going to have my Acura TLX that just, I wanted so for, bad. Just so everybody knows, Mara's the top closer <laughs> in the Las Vegas office Dude, it's to crazy. date. So she's achieved her goal. Yeah, nuts. And and I remember when she t- offered me this position, I was just so grateful. I just couldn't believe it. And I, I said, do you think Lee and Missy will take me back? I left really shitty. Like, <laughs> you think they will? Broke up with them like yeah. Tinder dates. Yep. And Sonia was like, I'll take care of them. You know, <laughs> I was like, okay. I said, you swear to me. I said, you promise you won't. I remember I put so much on Sonia too. I was like, don't let me fail. And she's like, I will not let you fail. And I said, I want to be exactly like you. I want you to teach me exactly how you do it because you're the best. And she's like, I'm going to make you the best. And I believed in her. Mm-hmm. I did. So I believed in her. She's, yes. a, she's a beast. I did. And yeah. I, I gave, I get, went in the office um, at Cheesecake Factory and I said, guys, I got my dream job. 
dream is I was telling everybody this is the <laughs> this is my dream job. I can't believe I got this. Like I don't know how. Like God is good. Blah blah blah. Yeah. Um, and I quit. And and they said they weren't even mad at me. They're like, congratulations. That's so cool. Go kill it. I didn't know what the future was going to look like. I never closed before. I, I can barely cut and paste. Mm-hmm. I don't know what computer loans, yeah. nothing. I don't know this shit, right? APRs. No, what is that, yeah. right? But I just put put everything in, in you know, I trusted in Sonia and I believed in her. And so I, I took the leap and I came right back, man. And uh, crazy. Yeah. So what's, what's interesting about that time for me, <clears throat> you know, and I, I say a lot of the same things because it's just true. Sales is a language, right? And so, you know, I, I was in a, a recruiting meeting yesterday and I told the guy, well, if, 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 if I was going to offer you a million dollars to learn French in six months, how, how, how much attention would you pay to it? He said a lot. I said, well, if it was me, I would, I would get an airplane ticket to France and get an Airbnb for the next six months. And I would get Rosetta Stone. And then I would sign up for college courses in France to take French. Because if I spent 60 grand to get a million dollars in six months by learning French, I said, if you take sales, the language of sales that seriously, at some point in your career, it will pay you a million dollars. It's, it's, it's inevitable in our industry that within the next three, four, five, six, seven, eight years, people just become high value individuals and they earn more and more and more each year because they speak the total language of sales from knocking to selling to recruiting to training to retaining to managing to teams. They just understand their paradigm expands. And so what I loved about you in that moment, you were another human being. Like you were focused. You were meeting Sonia after work and going to her house and you, she had the paper and you were like, had her pitch. Cause Sonia's pitch is good. She's a closer in the house. Mm-hmm. She's a good door knocker too. Sonia's well-rounded individual. And you were just like stuck to her like glue. I yes. mean, we went out, we did some team dinners and you two were just like, you were, you were, you literally had moved into sales land and you were like, I'm going to speak sales 100%. So your determination and your grit had changed because you left the opportunity and it's hard. You know, I see it a lot with people who don't make it. It's hard to be in an office with people who are making a hundred, two, three, four, five hundred thousand, seven hundred fifty million dollars, And you're like, they're doing the same thing that I was doing and I quit and I couldn't make it. And that sucks. And so that's kind of like, if I'm not mistaken, like that's your paradigm when you're serving tables, you're like, shit, I didn't do it. And when you came back, you were on fire, man. Oh man. It it was crazy. I came back. I, I told, I don't know. I was just, I don't know. It's just like my recovery. Like I was just, that's all I saw when, when I back in October, 27th, 2018, when I came in, it was tunnel vision. Yeah. This is all I see. Mm-hmm. I, I don't care what it is. It's not to get another girl back. It's not to get this job. It's just, I need my recovery. Mm-hmm. I need to be sober. And it was the same with this. I came back in. I was like, I have to be successful. I don't give a shit, like whatever it takes. And I literally spent as much time as I could with Sonia. I'd be like, can I come over? Can I come over? Can I come over? She's like, ah, mm-hmm. fuck. I remember one time she yelled <laughs> at me. I'd be up till like two in the morning, just like, Going over her clothes, going over her clothes, YouTube, like YouTubing mm-hmm. solar installations, YouTubing what's going on in the world, YouTubing the tax credit and like everything in different states. And like part of my clothes is because I know that stuff. I know the install. I, I know the verbiage. I know the word tracks. I, I know the stuff because I, you know, I did it on my own, you yeah. know, and I took the time to do that. And I and remember I texted Sony at like two, one in the morning or two in the morning one night. And I was like, what is the answer to this question? She said, Mars, shut it down. Are you kidding me? Go to bed. <laughs> it's two. Go to bed. Yeah. And I was just obsessed with it. Yeah. Obsessed. Yeah. Oh, 
Those, yes. are, those, are, those are crazy time. Well, it's I, I love that because that's, you know, I, I have that in me. Like, you know, one of my, I, I, I'm huge on legitimacy for my sales cycles. Um, so knowing, knowing everything is very important to me, like feeling like I can serve my clients well. Some of the stuff that I want to touch on on you is I want to get your experience in this. So, you know, I, I um, the sales lineage that I originated with was um, with Casey Bob, Poppy, Bodie Gardner, those guys at Vivint. And, you know, I would go in with those guys in rooms and Vivint and just watch their Instas and hear them talk. And it was just servitude, servitude, servitude. It was the whole person paradigm. It's I work for my team members. They don't work for me. How do I get up in the morning and serve my people? My customers are my reps, right? So how do I serve like, right? And there's a saying, if you want to impress your customers, impress the people who impress your customers. And that's my customer. So, you know, I come from that lineage of servitude. And the really amazing thing about, um, you know, when we were with John Murphy at at Arcadia, he was a a servant heart. He's an amazing human being. And Seth Grinney and Cam Brown, Doug Robinson, Luke Toon from Legacy Now, they all have that servant heart. So everything that I've always promoted and pushed has been that servant heart. And when you were in originally your first go through, it was very selfish. It was Mara, 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 right? And I've been in that stage of mind. And what changed was you started, once you learned, you started serving. But I want to talk about some of the things that have changed you as a human being that I've watched. I want, I want your experience on reading, Sunday planning, goal planning, knocking with team members, teaching, giving, like, because we, you've applied a lot of the things that we do to help other people in recovery to what we do here in um, solar or door to door. We serve other human beings. We give to them. We teach them. We love them. We consider their whole person paradigm. So what have those things done to help change your life? Some of the habits that you've picked up. um, And a lot of it I know is from me, but from other sources too. And, and I'm not taking credit for most of the stuff that I do because I learned it from the people that I admire and love. But what, what of those things have you picked up and how has that changed your paradigm on life and the career and giving and just growing as a human? Oh man. So yeah, I'm so great. Yeah. It's just nuts. This, this job, this opportunity, right. Is just the fact that you taught me since I came in to write out your goals and to read books and to be of service and be, be helped to your team and be helping someone become a person of value too. Right. Yeah. Um, that's changed my life mixed with my recovery. Like my life has literally become a fairy tale because of both of these things together. This career and my recovery are so intertwined with, with one another. It's like the same thing. Um, so when I came back, I, I promised myself I was going to put all this stuff. I was going to implement all this stuff again. Everything you guys were teaching me before. Like, it's the same as recovery. I, I wasn't listening to them before, so I kept drinking again, right? And so I come in and you're telling me to do this stuff, but I'm not implementing it, so I end up quitting. So I'm like, shit, what am I, you know, I keep doing this to myself. Maybe I should listen, you know, and put my ego away and just listen to what they have to say. And so when I came back in, I got, I remember texting you. Um, and texting other people, you know, like, what are some good books that you can recommend to me? Mm-hmm. Um, how do you do your goals? Um, what Anything, right? Anything mm-hmm. I can get. And I went out and I bought all these books. Um, I got the High Performance Planner. Um, I, I came in in this position with Sonia having this team, and I just dove into helping the team, like, mm-hmm. right away. Like, okay, I'm, I'm setting. Um, I don't know how I'm going to ever become this top closer, but I'm just going to do what I learned in recovery and I'm just going to be of service to the team. 
So I, I was just going out. I, first, I started with reading a book. So I, I read a book every morning and every night. Um, I would get, you know, Think and Grow Rich, you know, Goals by Ryan Tracy is my number one favorite book I've ever book. I've ever read. I love it. Um, the way he breaks down goal setting and your mindset. I, I I'm reading that again mm-hmm. right now, actually. Um, what it's done, it's trained my mind to think in abundance. It's trained my mind to think positively. If I'm if I'm always taking in this content, my brain just switches to this abundant, positive mindset where I'm just like da da da, everything's mm-hmm. great. You know, I it's just everything's changed possible as a person, and I'm like. Yeah. It, it just, it, the more I did it, the more I did it, the more I was like, wow, I'm in a lot better mood. I, I I feel like I'm like more confident. I feel like, you know, I believe in myself a little bit more. Where's all this coming from? It couldn't be from all the goals and the books and all that <laughs> other stuff you guys were talking about, right? Mm-hmm. But it was. And and I started, you know, asking questions about goal setting. And and I, I was introduced to this planner, the high performance planner that where I write out my goals every single morning and I wrote out my goals every single, I go back at night and, you know, re- review my day. Um, I set out every single day what my day is going to look like by the hour, um, who I'm going to reach out to, who I'm going to, who am I going to help? Like I just started doing this every single day, and it's crazy how different of a human being I am from mm-hmm. you know I started doing this a year ago, January or June first mm-hmm. of 2021, and now it's August. So a year later, my life is unbelievable. But um, yeah, goal setting, reading books. And being of service to my team is is what's changed my life. And just the money, just like you've always said, just came with it because I started becoming a person of value, right? Mm-hmm. Like being a person of value is helping someone else, like putting your ego aside, like helping someone else take your, I love what, I forgot what book it's in, but allowing someone else to get as good and better than you and replacing you and taking your spot. Like mm-hmm. to, to allow that and want that for somebody is, is crazy because my whole life, I'm number one. I have to be number one through sports, through everything. Like my ego is so big. Like no one's going to outshine me. I have to be the best, blah, 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 blah. I'm the one person team, you know? And now today, just like seeing Elijah grow, see, seeing the people that have just wanting to move up and like change their life, you know, yeah. reading books, setting goals for themselves. I have people on the team now that reach out to me, you know, how do you do goals? How do you do goal sailing? What is that? Mm-hmm. Is that planner? That means more to me than the big check Friday, mm-hmm. right? When someone put, you know, when I have them calling me, asking for advice of how to change their life, it it just means everything. So I I love that. So, you know, one of the things that I heard, um, and Jeff, Poppy and Casey said it a lot, but it was don't overestimate what you can do in a year and underestimate what you can do in five years. I'm coming up on my sixth year in the industry and not much like you, exactly like you. When I came in, I was exposed you know, most industries are not like our industry. They're, they're filled with people who are self-centered, who have massive egos. Um, and there's some of that in our, our, our industry, but not in our circle of, of people. Um, and I just was exposed to these completely different human beings, to a completely different mentality. Like anything is possible if you believe in yourself. This job is an equal opportunity employer for men, women, age, race, doesn't matter. If you come in here and apply these certain techniques, much like some other stuff that we know, and this is another thing that I really love, like it's a simple formula, but nobody said it was going to be easy, right? For doors. But I did the same thing. They read, they did Sunday planning, they had goals. Um, they worked a certain amount of hours, you know, and that's one thing that I, I always held myself to when I was knocking was my hours, uh, the goals and the books. And over the last six years, those things have just compounded massively. And the more value I've gained, the more value I've been able to add to more people. I'm really excited to see, you know, 
it's been amazing watching what you've done in a year, but to think of, so this is, this is what blew my mind when I looked back, I'm like, and now I think, well, it's five years. Don't overestimate, underestimate the 10 years, but think about your next four years, right? To get to that five-year mark, the human that you're going to be with this type of compound effect, these type of habits, these types of goals, serving other people, teaching other people, you just grow as a human being. What we do in the in the industry, I think, to help other human beings is we go through all of the same situations, right? I've cried on doors. Um, doors didn't make me cry, but I was crying because I remember sat in front of a house for two hours because of life. Life was so heavy and so overwhelming that day. I couldn't get out of the car, and it wasn't just doors. I was just I was just busted, you know. Um, I've I've knocked senseless, slept in my car, just like insane from fear and anxiety and financial pressures. I've wanted to quit. I've, I'm going to get a real estate license. I'm going to go work at Starbucks. I'm going to anything but this and just never quitting. But by going through those things, I'm able to help other people go through those things. And that's going back to basketball, yeah. being able to move the ball down the court because you've been through all of the situations. You've done the hard things. You've done the tough things. And I, I've just absolutely loved watching you go through it. And I'm so excited for your next five years. Um, I, I want to review some stuff here real quick. So now that everybody's heard Mara's story, in the year that she's been back, in the last 12 months, we ran these numbers. These are the real numbers. In the year that she's been back, just the year to date. So from last August, well, July to last July, 100 deals installed. Crazy. Year to date, 2022, we're at 70 deals installed. The everybody out there understands that to get to 100 deals, it's 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 a piece of work, right? When you're leading a team and people, and uh, I see you knocking with people um, every week, serving your people, doing one on ones, doing all the stuff that we do, changing your life. So let's dive into where's your personal life out now. So we got Elisa, your yes. fiance, you're yep. engaged. Absolutely. What does is, what is life look like now? So the money's great, right? Money's the tip of the iceberg. It's yep. nice to have it. It right. helps. But what, what does life look like now in, in your personal life? How, how, is, how is life? Oh, my gosh. It's like a, I tell everyone all the time, I, I'm living a fairy tale, and I literally have to like pinch myself to be present and to realize what I, how I'm living. Like, <laughs> I... When we walked in today, to get out back on that, when we were walking in today, me and you, there's two homeless people outside in the yeah, alley. Yeah. And you pulled up and you're like, oh, this is two different worlds right here. And I said, yeah, yeah but we've lived both of them. We have. And look at us yeah. now. Like, 100%. kitty corner from this office is where I used to pick up drugs. Like, yeah. I can, I see it every time I leave the office today. Yeah. Like, so it's just, it's, it's amazing. My life today is insane. Um, That family that didn't want, anything to do with me. They wouldn't allow me on their porch or their yard. They would call the cops if I entered their property mm -hmm. are now beg my best friends. Yeah. They, they, they beg me to come visit them. Um, they allow freaking awesome, dude. Yeah. I, but it's like, wow. Like they're so proud of me and they tell me all the time. They're like, I'm so proud of you. And it's like, man, I don't know. I didn't do that. I don't know how this happened to me. I don't know how this happened so fast. I literally just have watched people before me and watched their lives change. And I just, how do you do it? How did you do it? How do you do it? And I hope I'm that for someone, you know, and that's all I can hope for. But also I met my dream girl, like totally I'm engaged to my dream girl. We're getting married March 20, 
2023. We're going to Greece for a honeymoon. She's awesome. I've met her. Oh, amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. she's amazing. Totally she's different girl. from the other girls. <laughs> yeah. This one's rad. <laughs> Opposite of me as well, so that's important. <laughs> um, super sweetheart. Um, love her to death. We have two two dogs. Um, and, you know, through this, through, through just my sobriety and everything like that, the, the number one thing in my life is I've cleared up so much separation. All the separation, all the damage I've caused... I can go, <clears throat> excuse me, I can go anywhere today, right? And just feel like a part of, yeah. I don't have to dodge anymore and look behind my back or look behind my shoulder of like, just feeling like a piece of shit, right? Today yeah. I have a little bit more self-worth. I have a little bit more confidence. And, you know, that dad that, you know, raised me, my hero, you know, he he struggled with addiction too. He was a drug addict um, most of my life. After, high, after I left high school, he started drugs and um, I was able to clear separation up with him you know my hero growing up before he died he died of a drug overdose a year and a half ago and i was able to 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 mend that before he passed all because of my recovery and um i don't know man i i I have a beautiful life today my family's strong i have a lot of amazing friends you two have been huge mentors in my life you know one of the top five for sure top three you guys are amazing um I just love the relationships I have. And I, I love the fact that people look up to me today, which is insane. I, I'm still like, really me? You know, I I was a dirty kid just sleeping on top of the Todd Motel four <laughs> years ago. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, how did this yeah. happen so Rags fast? Riches. Right. And yeah. I just put my trust in this and I put my trust in my mentors and I just did what they did. And my life is literally a fairy tale today. And I've gone through, of course, the ups and downs. I think that's the beauty of it. Like, when I see someone that's like sitting in their car and won't get out of it and they're struggling, they're calling me. I was like, that was me too. Like mm-hmm. I remember sitting in the car crying. I, I would cry. I, I would call, I would sit on the side of the road crying because doors were so hard. They were so hard sometimes. Mm-hmm. Like they're so mean to me, like everything that went in my head, right? They don't like me because I'm a woman. They don't like me because I'm gay. They could tell I'm gay. Tattoos, like, short yeah, hair. Yeah, blah, 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 yeah. Everyone. So I'd sit and cry. <laughs> like this is so hard. And then you you work your ass off and you get five solid appointments and they would all cancel. And then, and then, you know, closing, you're closing deals and they're canceling on you and like all this shit. But like, really, like when you look at the bigger picture, like none of that doesn't learning. matter. Yeah. It's you're lessons. learning. I'm learning. learning. I'm, I'm still learning today. Mm-hmm. Like when I go through shit it's happening for you, not yeah. to you again, it's the same things. Yep. I love it. So uh, we'll close out soon. What I wanted, you know, one of the reasons I wanted to have you on here is because, um, you know, I'm really, I'm really lucky in this office to have, we have a lot of very strong, successful women in this office. You, Misty, Kelly, um, Lorena, um, Teresa, um, and others that I'm, I'm, I'm not counting, but we have, it's really cool to me to have so many high level empowered women. So that was part of it. I wanted you to be able to, you know, get your story out to other women in the industry. Um, but guys think the same thing too. Um, mm-hmm. You know what I thought when Justin Mott came to me with his, his um, check from Vivit? You're not doors. That's, that's stupid. You're an idiot. That's like dumb. And then, you know, I want to go back to that moment. So for people who are listening to this, who don't knock doors or for the women who are indoors that have just started and are going through struggles, um, you know, my message is different. Like I think if I I was at presidential limousine and I went to a recruiting uh, meeting with John Taylor, who I have an immense amount of gratitude for with Vivint. Um, you know, John in that office changed my life. And I sat down at Joe's crab. He wine and dined me with some chilled crab and I was going to work two jobs. I was going to work presidential limousine in the day, selling limos, corporate limos. And I was going to go sell alarms at night. And he said, that's ridiculous. You're trying to put your ladder up against two walls. He said, just come in here. This is what we can make. And I believed him. 
and I, I bought it. And I have often thought, and it was the ego thing. I was 40. I'm going to go knock doors. That's stupid. That's lame. But when I sat with somebody who was highly successful, Justin was successful, I did it. And I, me and Misty were just talking the other day. What if I would have said no? I'd probably still be at Prez making 70, 80 grand a year, selling limousines behind a desk. Totally different life if I would have just sloughed off doors or thought that I couldn't do it or let my fear hold me back or sat at the table of comfort for too long and just stayed behind my computer and my little sales and my concierge and all the stuff I had at the limo company, which I was used to. But I jumped off a cliff. I'm like, it literally, for me, that's what it felt like. Um, I had to get my car back. I had to buy, I had a crappy little um, Volkswagen that I bought. I had a mortgage. Misty had just moved in. I had a three-year-old daughter. I wasn't going to get paychecks anymore. I had to go sell alarms. I was terrified. So it was literally jumping off a cliff for me. Then I had to believe in myself. And I, I had just a tremendous amount of fear, but I put it behind me and it pushed me forward. So what is your message for people who are thinking about it or who are in it or who are in their first year and are going through their struggles? Like, how do you feel about all that now? Oh my gosh. I, I, it's crazy that you said that because I was just thinking that the other day. I was talking to Elisa about this. I said, what if a year and a half ago I would have said no to Sonia? Like, yeah. like if, if I would have been too scared to just been like, no, like that's insane to think about of mm -hmm. where I am at today. And it's, it's still like, be a cheesecake factory. Oh, it'd still be a cheesecake factory. That's nuts. <laughs> and I, I literally talk about this all the time. What if I would have said no? Yeah. What if I would have said no? And I, and I tell people that want to, you know, thinking about this career, like just believe in it, Yeah. believe in it or find someone that you look up to that believes in it and just do what they do. And, and I found that it found that. And I'm so grateful for that. I'm so grateful for Sonia. And I'm so grateful for you too, that I believed in you guys enough when I couldn't believe in myself. So, and, and burning the boats, like what you talk about, I, I had to believe that this was my only focus. I had to be, it was my tunnel vision when I mm -hmm. came back and it had to be, it had to be, I was obsessed with it. I just, whatever it took. And if you're doing that, and if you have a burning desire, you know, like mm -hmm. Brian Chase talks about, if yep. you have that burning desire and this is the only way and you burn the boats, you have, you, there's no other way but to be successful. And I, I truly it. believe that. I used to hear you guys talk about that. And I was like, so hocus pocus, mumbo, corny no bullshit. Like, yeah. like, what are you saying? Like, no that's plan such, B. It's a sales tactic. You're Dumb. in sales. That's yeah. what, what's happening. But it's true. And I yeah. lived it. And I I've literally am living it right now. I'm living my dream today because I just believed in it. I believed in this. I believe in the product. I, I believe in solar. I, I, I mean, look what's happening with tax rate and everything like that. Yeah. I had to believe in it. Um, and I had to believe in my leaders. And I, and I truly do. And I believe in you guys. And it, it's changed my life. So I, to my message is to, just believe in it. Believe in it. And so one of the things all, you know, when I came into the Vivint office, um, I asked John, who's the best? And the best was Pat Mendez, buff Pat Mendez. This dude is a monster. He's here in Vegas still. He's, he was on a, he's on a, one of the fiance shows. He's a rad dude. I'm trying to get him back in. 90 day fiance. 90 day fiance. <laughs> Love Pat Mendez. He's just a, a beast of a salesman. But I said, who, who's the best? And John said, I'm going to put you with Pat. And I said, I'm just going to do every single thing that Pat does. Mm -hmm. And then I started seeing the leaders and I'm like, what do you do? And Casey was like, I read books and I do Sunday planning. I'm like, well, that's exactly what I'm gonna do. Mm -hmm. And then what I saw from the people who were successful that were the top three or four people on the board was that they knocked more than eight hours a day. And I said, well, that's what I'm gonna do. And so it's not just this come in and, and just kind of flim flam or whimsically do kind of whatever you want. This is an industry where, you know, Cortez was standing on the, on, on the shore and sent somebody out to burn the ships. And when he turned around, he says, we're going to beat the Mayans or we're going to die. 
And that's what they did. And when you have that type of no plan B mentality, we say these things to people, but they don't ingest them. And that's why we have successful people in the room and unsuccessful people in the room. Because the people who burn the ships and go all in 100% and follow the people in front of them who are successful and do those things, we really see coming and change their lives. It, it has been just a pleasure to watch you um, come through everything that you've gone through from the anxieties and the fears and the doors and the closings and the bad closings and the good closings and the mediocre closings to becoming just an absolute beast. I think you have, we ran the number, it's like an 87 or 88% retention rate from, from close to install. Like you're, you're a monster. So, and you know, I just attribute that to your hard work and your dedication to the craft and your, you know, you go in and you teach your clients and you love your clients and you work for your clients and you serve your clients and you serve your team and you do all those things. So just super impressive individual. I hope everybody um, has enjoyed the show with Mara um, because this is truly a story of like, not just rags to riches, but mental and spiritual turmoils into a completely different human being that's highly successful in all areas of her life. So thanks Crazy. for coming on, Mara. Thank you so much for having me. All right, it's been man. a pleasure. I love you. Love you too. All right. It's awesome. Bye. Thanks for listening to Door to Door Insider. Contact us with questions and follow us on Instagram at door the number two door dot insider or at L33 Barber. That's L33 B-A-R-B-E-R. Be sure to rate, comment, and subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform so you never miss an episode.